Alright, welcome back everyone. Welcome back. Diving into our very first part two. That's right. So for those of you who didn't listen to part one, this part two episode is a follow-up to last week's episode on spacesuits. Yes, and while I guess you technically could start here, I would highly recommend you go listen to part one first or you might get really confused. Yeah. There's quite a few references that we'll be making to part one, but we'll try our best to give you enough of the gist of what we're talking about. But yeah, so last week's episode was about spacesuits, specifically the technical description, and that's what I went into, and the history, which is what Anna went into. Yep. And then today we're going to talk about current spacesuits that are in use and the future. That's right. I'm excited. Me too. I'm super psyched. I got my glass of seltzer water. Wonderful. I'm ready to do this. Let's... I'm preheating my oven so I can make dinner after this. Oh, it just went off. That's funny. <laughs> it's talking to us. It's ready to hear us I know. Talk. It's like, <laughs> I knows I'm hungry. All right. Let, do you want to just hop right into it? Yeah, let's go for it. All right, everyone. I'm Anna. And I'm Henna. And this is... But, but it, it is Rocket, Rocket Science. Science. All right, so at the end of the last episode, the last suit I talked about was Apollo 11, and that's kind of where I ended the history. And so anyone, any fellow space nerds out there are probably wondering, wait, what about the space shuttle? And yes, you're right, exactly. What about the space shuttle? What about the space shuttle? And so the EMU, Hena kind of hinted at this, the extravehicular mobility unit used by the space shuttle and the ISS is still in use today. So I kind of chose to chunk the entire space shuttle in the present, even though it's not really flying anymore. But on that note, let's talk about the space shuttle. The space shuttle utilized two different suits. A flight suit, which is worn during launch. So this would essentially be when the space shuttle was traveling to the ISS or to orbit or returning from the ISS or from orbit. And then the EMU, or the extravehicular mobility unit. I kind of already talked about that a little bit. I'm going to start with the flight suits. So the first flight suit used by the shuttle program was called the Launch Entry Suit, or the LES, L-E-S. I was like, why does that look familiar to me? And it's because this was also the acronym the Lunar Escape Module used when it was called the Lunar Escape System. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, just to keep things confusing. (laughs) But the LES was commonly referred to as the Pumpkin Suit for its bright orange color and were actually based off of the Gemini flight suits, which I talked about in the last episode. And if you remember those, the Gemini suits are actually based off of the United States Air, the United States Air Force X-15 flight suits. So I told you the aviation flight suit portion I did at the beginning was important. It all just comes back to these aviation suits. So the shuttle LES went through a couple variations. However, the final design was a partial pressure suit featuring... A one-piece torso limb suit with a Nomex outer layer. Gotta love Nomex. We keep coming back to it. <laughs> and a full-pressure helmet with a polycarbonate clear faceplate, mechanical seal, and a black sunshade, zippered on gloves, heavy, paratrooper-style safety boots, and a survival backpack. So this backpack was actually put on prior to entering the orbiter, so that would be kind of like the part of the space shuttle that they sit in. And contains a parachute, life raft, survival gear, and a 30-minute supply of breathing oxygen and a water tank. I was kind of confused. I was like, why do they have all this stuff 
in this survival backpack. What? When would they ever need a life raft? And so I did a little bit of digging. The first two shuttles, Enterprise and Columbia, actually had ejection seats, but they were never used. Whoa. Yeah. They were deemed not all that useful. I guess they did some studies where... In some cases, if you got if you ejected at the right time, you could actually end up slamming into the shuttle itself, which wouldn't do you a lot of good. <laughs> no, so that would be awful. <laughs> that would probably be worse. Yeah. So the remaining space shuttles were actually built without them, and in a couple of them, they were just disabled. I'm assuming that's why they had some of that stuff. I'm also wondering if they just gave them everything, just in case of emergency. On airplanes, they always have like oxygen masks, and then. F- little floaters and whistles under your seats yeah in case of a water landing yeah you could find your life jacket under your seat life jacket under your seat yeah i think it's a similar concept but uh magnified (laughs) if you will (laughs) so the les was the primary flight suit used by the space shuttle program from 1988 to 1994 it was eventually replaced by something called the asics or the advanced crew escape suit this was very similar to the les the main differences were that the gloves were on disconnecting lock rings on the wrists, replacing the zippers. I'm assuming this just made them easier to get on and off. I also, I think, I could imagine you would need somebody else to put your gloves on if they were zippered. Yes, right? Because it's like, how do you manage that with one hand unless in the, the glove. zippers... In, yeah, exactly, in the glove. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so I'm imagining that's part of the reason why they switched them to lock rings... They also added liquid cooling and improved ventilation and an extra layer of insulation. But they are still orange. (laughs) So, fun stuff. The A6 is incredibly similar to the Russian Sokol spacesuit, which is still being used for Soyuz missions. Theirs isn't orange, though. But the Sokol (laughs) does... uh, (laughs) It's not orange. I don't know why that's such a big deal to me. I just like that they're orange. The Sokol... The main difference is, is that the Sokol does not have a removable helmet or a survival backpack. And this is due to space limitations in the Soyuz capsules. They just can't get them in there. And so... Oh, wow. Yes. Prior to... At the end of the space shuttle program, but before the first Crew Dragon launch, all American astronauts going to the ISS, I believe, were on Soyuz capsules. So U.S. astronauts have flown on Soyuz capsules, just as a fun fact. Yeah, that's right. So onto the EMU, or the Extravehicular Mobility Unit. EMU was initially designed for spacewalks on space shuttle missions and the ISS. Hannah talked about this, but I'm just going to dig into it a little bit again. The suit needed to allow astronauts to regularly make repairs to satellites as well as construct and maintain the ISS. The resulting suit was a two-piece, 14-layer pressure suit that had the capability to keep astronauts alive for up to 8.5 hours. 8.5 hours. And a version of the EMU is still used to on the ISS today. It was actually modified to be modular, the idea being that one could be kept on the ISS for two years and modified to fit astronauts of different sizes. Interestingly enough, this actually connects back to the issue with the first planned all-woman spacewalk. So if you are a space nerd like Henna and I, or you just read the news a lot like Henna and I, <laughs> the first female spacewalk was originally... You may know that the first female spacewalk was originally planned for March 29th, 2019. With female astronauts Anne C. McLean and Christina H. Cook, Christina H. Cook, who are going to continue upgrading batteries on one of the station's solar arrays. As I mentioned, the EMU suits are modular. 
There are not male and female versions. There's just a collection of different size pieces. In Anne's case, the issue came down to the torso piece. So McLean had trained in both a medium and a large, and thought both were fine. However, after completing a spacewalk on March 22nd, 2019, in a medium torso piece, she realized that fit a lot better, and that the large would just be too tricky for her to work in. Spacewalks are physically exhausting, and a poorly, fit, uh, and a poorly fitting suit will make it a lot worse. Kind of the best thing I can think of to kind of relate to this is if you've ever tried to wear a pair of boots that are way too big, it takes a lot more energy to keep them on your feet when you're walking than if it does if you're in a properly sized pair of boots. Yeah, that's a really good example. Do you know because what I mean? Because you, yeah. you, you have to put energy in to keep your foot from sliding out. Exactly. This is actually a really good point that Anna makes with how poorly fitting suits can be so exhausting. I'll get into how NASA's working to get these suits to fit better in a little bit. Yes, they can also, poorly fitting suits can also cause injuries. It's a big deal. And so McLean, while working in the medium, realized that working in the large would just not be feasible for her. And actually, as a result, both McLean and Cook would need a medium-sized torso piece. There's a lot of misconception out there. There's a lot of articles out there, if you just Google first female spacewalk cancellation, that the spacewalk was canceled because NASA did have not did not have two medium spacesuits on the ISS. That's actually not true. There was another medium torso piece. However, it was not part of a configured suit. So the two configured or prepared suits were a medium and a large. These suits are not just thrown together and then put on an astronaut, and then they're like, all right, go on a spacewalk. A significant number of suit checks are conducted in the days before the EVAs to ensure the suits are functioning correctly. Because if it's not, if it is something is wrong, it could have disastrous impacts. So they do a lot of work to configure the suits and ensure they are functioning correctly. And so for the spacewalks they were initially needed, they configured a medium and a large. In order yes. to... Yes. So so when Anna says there were two medium spacesuits on the ISS, we couldn't use both of them because of that configuration process. Exactly. It takes a while. Getting the other medium suit into usable condition would have been a lot of work. And it would have resulted in a lot of lost time. And it actually would have been risky because they would have been pushing to get it done in time for the Friday spacewalk. These spacewalks are planned. They can't just be pushed out unless it's really unavoidable. Because a lot of this work is very carefully scheduled for the yeah. ISS. And it's also based off of like the number of consumables they have, what timeline they're working on. Consumables are limited because of saving mass. Exactly. There's a bunch of things that go into it. So it would have been it would have been actually risky even to get this the other medium suit configured and ready to go in time for that spacewalk. So as a result, it made more sense to switch out the astronaut than the suit because they had other astronauts who were able to wear a size large and had the capability to complete the task necessary for that spacewalk. So unfortunately, it did not happen on March 29th, 2019, but don't worry. The first female spacewalk did actually happen, and we talked about it in one of our episodes. It happened on October 18th, 2019, with Christina Cook and Jessica Meir. Woo! Yeah, woo! It's really cool. If you are interested in that, I highly recommend you look it up online. There's a bunch of really awesome articles about it, and they're both really amazing women. And McLean is also an amazing woman. But as a side note, NASA actually released an audit in 2017 called NASA's Management and Development of Spacesuits. If you're interested in reading it, we will link it 
in our sources. It's online. You can. It's publicly available for anybody to read. So in it, they actually discuss how there are currently only 11 operational EMUs. Seven are on Earth and four are on the ISS. That was in 2017. I don't know if that's still true today, but I'm imagining it has to be fairly similar. And in that audit, they actually expressed some concern that they won't last until the ISS planned retirement in 2024. But Henna will talk about what they're planning to do to replace the EMUs. Yes, stay tuned. I know, it's really cool. Alright, hopping back to the EMU specifics, the version used on the space shuttle weighed 275 pounds, and the ISS version weighs 319 pounds. The other EVA suit used on the ISS is called the Orlin MKS, and it was designed by the Russians for their cosmonauts. It actually has a rear entry hatch, which is kind of cool, because it means that they can be donned in approximately 5 minutes, and this is really fast for a spacesuit. My understanding is that the US version takes, the, the US EMU takes about 15 minutes. Oh, wow. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I think it's just like a rear hatch. Like, you open it from the back and you just, like, climb into it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and they actually I- implement this in the newer version of the spacesuit as well. But No spoilers. I, yeah. <laughs> I actually don't mention that in my section, so it's oh. good that you brought this up. <laughs> it's also cool how we, in some ways, we might have learned that. Been like, oh, this is what the Russians do. It seems to work a lot faster. Maybe that's something we should think about incorporating. Yeah. It's pretty cool, the international collaboration that goes on yeah. for, uh, in space, in aerospace. I completely agree. And then the Russian, the Orlin MKS, provides life support for up to seven hours and weighs around 260 pounds. All right, on to everybody's new favorite spacesuit on the scene, the Crew Dragon suit. <laughs> this was a big deal when this launched. They were like, they're like the spacesuits are different. What's going on? If you watch the Crew Dragon launch, you may have noticed that the astronauts, Bob and Doug, while at NASA astronauts, were not wearing the NASA pumpkin suits. So they were not wearing a LES or an ASICS. SpaceX actually designed their own flight suits. They're a really sleek white design and they have these black boots. They actually have such a slim appearance that people were concerned that they wouldn't work. Pressure they look suits really as- nice. Yeah, they're also very slim fit. They almost look like a motorcycle outfit. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. I can totally see that. So if you haven't seen the SpaceX suit, I would recommend pulling that up, pulling a picture of that up on Google, and then also pulling up a picture of the Asus suit that Anna's been talking about, and put those two side by side and look at how huge the differences are. It's pretty amazing. Oh, yeah. The Asus suit almost partially kind of looks like an underinflated balloon. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, totally. I totally get what you mean. Like it's got, it, and it's yeah. because it's intended to be pressurized. And and, and the, that's the best way to describe it. And that's the, that's like a common description. These pressurized suits are are basically balloons carrying humans. Yes, exactly. And so they're bulkier. Even though they're flight suits, they're pretty bulky because they have to have that pressure in them. And so it actually, when the NASA suits were announced, they were so sleek and slim and slim fitting, so sleek and slim fitting that people were actually concerned that they wouldn't work. So Elon Musk, the CEO of SpaceX, actually had to assure everyone that, and this is a quote, it definitely works. You can just jump in a vacuum chamber with it and it's fine. I wouldn't do that. 
No. Apparently and then you so can. <laughs> so you can, but also at the same time it's like yes, you can jump into a vacuum chamber, but you can't jump into the vacuum of space because you're forgetting that you would be bombarded with radiation, you would have micrometeoroid impacts, like space is oh, a yeah. whole other beast. Yeah. But yes. And so that's if, why it's not an EMU. It's because right. they're mostly the flight suits are mostly intended to um are mostly intended to compensate in case of loss of pressurization in the cabin. Exactly. Yes. It's like a So you would still like, be inside. Right. So it's a safety feature that they've incorporated. Exactly. And then I think I talked about this earlier where you could actually take it off. Yes, okay. I was correct. So the Gemini missions established the standard for astronauts to remove their pressure suits in non-critical portions of the mission. I talked about this a little bit in part 1. I'll just plug it here again. This is this is actually you could see them in real time do this if you watch the Crew Dragon launch footage. They would be in their pressure suits and then the it, the live stream would go somewhere else and you would come back and all of a sudden they were wearing like it appeared to be a polo and cargo pants or khakis. So they changed because even this sleek suit isn't that comfortable. But interestingly enough, Doug Hurley actually commented, and it's a quote, this suit is significantly different than the suit we wore on the shuttle since he was a shuttle astronaut. And then just a little bit of fun information. In order to test the suits before their first human flight, one was launched with the dummy driving the Tesla Roadster. And I have driving in quotation marks because it's definitely not being driven anywhere. Driving the Tesla Roadster, which was launched in 2018 on a Falcon Heavy rocket. A second one actually flew with the dummy named Ripley on the uncrewed SpaceX Crew Dragon Demo 1 test flight to the ISS in 2019. Just for reference, the... The crude launch with Bob and Doug on May 30th was Demo 2. And these suits look like a costume from a futuristic movie set. If you haven't seen them, if you haven't already Googled it, definitely do it now. This is not an accident. They were designed by Jose Fernandez, who is a famous Hollywood costume designer. He's worked on movies such as Wonder Woman, Wolverine, Batman vs. Superman, and Captain America Civil War. And they do kind of have that superhero suit kind of feel. Yeah, I can see that. They definitely have the superhero vibe. Yeah, completely. SpaceX has kept many of the design features of the suit private. However, they did announce that the suits are meant to be symbiotic with the computer panels inside the capsule. I'm just assuming this means that they can use the touchscreens while wearing their gloves. Oh, yeah. I don't know what else that would mean. But if anybody knows, drop us a line. NASA stated, and this is a quote, that the spacesuit is designed to be functional, lightweight, and to offer protection from the potential depressurization. A single connection point on the suit's thigh attaches life support systems, including air and power connections. The helmet is custom manufactured using 3D printing technology and includes integrated valves, mechanisms for, viver- mechanisms for visor retraction and locking, and microphones within the helmet structure. Really not much else is known about them, but we're all excited to find out. The most common question that, the immediate question that came up to me when I found out that SpaceX was making their own flight suits was if they would also be making their own EMU. And for the foreseeable future, the NASA EMU will continue to be used. I don't think SpaceX is working on one, at least they haven't publicly announced it. Another interesting fact is that the SpaceX suit will not be used by the astronauts that will be flying in Boeing's Starliner. This is officially called CST-100. And it's a reusable crew capsule that would be used to fly astronauts to the ISS. It's being developed by Boeing for the NASA Commercial Crew Program. It is still being developed. There is an uncrewed test launch on December 20th, 2019. 
You can actually see the videos. We talked about it a little bit in our parachute episode. It lands in New Mexico. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I actually got to sit in the mock-up of the CST-100 a long time ago. Did you? Pretty nifty. (laughs) It looks really cool. At least all the promotional material they put out about it looks pretty cool. So Boeing is designing an all-new flight suit. And then my favorite fact, well, sad fact, is that it's actually not orange. It's navy blue. (laughs) Frick. (laughs) I know. I know. It's designed to be improved over the ACES or ASICs. It will be lighter and more flexible. The helmet and visor will be part of the suit and not detachable. It will have touchscreen-sensitive gloves. This is interesting because I'm assuming this is something they've had to add as touchscreens have become a prominently used technology. Like the space, yes. space shuttle definitely didn't use touchscreens, and they didn't have to think about having touchscreen-sensitive gloves. Right. I think that's interesting because from a human factors perspective, I would think that I would immediately think that more of a tactile, like, manual um, control panel would be easier in that kind of intense environment. But, but yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. The touchscreen-sensitive gloves are a new development. Completely. And I believe if, if Starliner is putting them in their... If Boeing is putting them in their suit, that they must be using a touchscreen as well. But it will also have vents that help cool down the astronauts, but still allow for the suit to be quickly pressurized. And in total, the suit will weigh 20 pounds, which is about 10 pounds lighter than the Aces. Wow. That's an, that's an incredible drop in weight. Because that's a third of the total. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where that's all coming from. And part of it might just be new innovation. And I'm also sure not having the helmet and visor click off will make a difference. But I'm really excited to see what it looks like in the end. Yeah, me too. But with that, those are all the spacesuits, at least the most popular ones that are flying today. That was really interesting, Anna. Thank you. Do you want to talk to us about the future of spacesuit technology? Definitely. But should we take a break first? Yes, that sounds awesome. All right, we'll be back. Long time no see. <laughs> We're back from a break. Yeah, it's been like 30 seconds. I went to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, I just got a real quick cup of water. <laughs> my, the way I was sitting, my foot, you know when your foot is so asleep that you go to put weight on it and you almost just can't? <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. You had to work it off. It feels I, like your foot is jello. Yes, but I'm yeah. willing to make the sacrifice for all of you. For those of who, for those of you who have been listening to our previous episodes, you have probably followed the saga of Anna's sleeping feet. Yeah, <laughs> right before our breaks. I talk about this all the time, like because of how my apartment's set up. The only place I can hide to like isolate myself from some of the noise is this like little tiny corner, and I'm a tall person. I don't fit well in here, but I sacrifice <sighs> for all of your enjoyment. I'm also happy to do it, but I will complain about my poor asleep foot. Oh, it's entertaining. Thanks, Anna. (laughs) You're all welcome. All right. I'm excited to hear about the future of spacesuits. Yeah, I'm excited to dive in. Let's go. Especially now that we may not have enough to make it to the end of the ISS. Exactly. So perfect way to dive right in, Anna. Like Anna just mentioned, the U.S. has a shortage of EMUs. So what is NASA doing to alleviate that shortage? 
NASA is working on the XEMU. What is the XEMU? It is the newest evolution of the EMU, and probably the only evolution of the EMU. I like the X. That they were like, we don't even know. We're just going to put an X in front of it for, like, extra. Extra. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like it's such a, like, middle school thing to do where I would just, like, add an X or a Z to to make things cooler. Or even brands will do that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I actually, that's a really good question. I don't know what the X stands for. Um, I bet they don't either. <laughs> but yeah, let's go ahead and go get into this. So yeah, so for this future section, I'm going to start with talking about the XEMU, and then I'll transition over to talking about a few spacesuit enhancements that some universities are working on. So let's go ahead and get started. The XEMU is being planned to is going to be used for the Artemis missions, and then also going to be used for Lunar Gateway and missions to Mars. For those of you who don't know, the Artemis mission will land the first woman and next man on the moon by 2024. So we are in a bit of a time crunch. That's right. It is exciting, but we are in a bit of a time crunch. Yeah. All right. So let's get into a few new suit design specifics. So I picked... A couple major ones I thought were interesting. There are a bunch of new design enhancements that the XEMU will have, but I'm just going to go ahead and cover a few of the uh, inter- the w- few of the ones that I found interesting. Lay it so, on the first one is the lower torso, which is the hard unit which has legs. The legs attach into it. It will incorporate more sophisticated materials that will enable bending at the knees and it will also enable better bending at the hips. That's a big issue that we've had with the with the traditional EMU is the fact that it doesn't allow for the most flexibility. It does allow for some flexibility, but they're working on incorporating more flexible materials yeah, into part of the, the reason. Suit. Oh, sorry. It's part of the reason why spacewalks are so exhausting, especially if you're in this suit that just doesn't move. Exactly. And I mentioned this in our past in our previous episode, but you are in this pressurized suit, and if you're trying to bend your leg, the suit is going is working against you to keep you from bending your leg. It's not helping you. So it goes back to Anna's point of it making it being even more exhausting. Yeah, if you watch the clips of the astronauts in Apollo 11, <laughs> that wasn't easy. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Another feature that the XEMU will have is that the boots will also incorporate uh, more flexible materials. Uh, specifically flexible soles. The shoulders of the XEMU used to have mechanical pulleys, and the new suits will have these bearings that will allow for complete arm rotation. So that's pretty nifty. Cool. The XEMU has also redesigned astronaut-to-astronaut and astronaut-to-base communication systems. So this will include built-in microphones in the helmet that will pick up voice, so they're voice-activated, the old mics would not accurately pick up the astronauts' voices when the astronauts were moving. So this is a huge plus. Oh, neat. Uh, yeah, super neat. A really cool upgrade is one that utilizes 3D body scans. So I had no idea, but NASA has a anthropometry and biomechanics facility. It sounds like they have all sorts of facilities. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. And they are studying, this facility is studying the measurements, movements, and proportions of the human body. So what they're doing specifically for XEMU development is that they're going to be taking these 3D body scans of astronauts 
to determine which of the astronaut suit pieces combined will make for the most comfortable suit per astronaut. Huh. So this go, yeah, this is pretty cool because it goes back to what you were saying earlier, Anna, with or Anne McLean was the one whose suit wasn't the right size. That's right. So Anne McLean was the one who, where the suit wasn't the right size. With these 3D body scans, NASA will be able to more accurately mix and match pieces of the suit to get a get the most comfortable fit for the astronaut. That's cool. Because if you know, if you think about it, they're modular now, but the options I think are just like medium, large, maybe a small or an extra large. It's like when you go to the store and you're between sizes. I imagine that could easily happen with these spacesuits and may have been something that happened to Anne McLean. Exactly. Yeah. I was specifically thinking about, you know how when you go bowling and you rent a pair of shoes, but you always have to go back and exchange the pair because the oh first God. one never fits right? I always guess wrong. They're <laughs> never, too. I don't know what the sizes are based in, but I'll give them my shoe size and it's wildly <laughs> too large or too small. Right. So it's hard to guess your spacesuit size. You can't just <laughs> find those on the rack. <laughs> Um, not even at Forever 21. <laughs> Maybe one day. <laughs> Maybe. But yeah, so that's why they're doing these body scans is cool. that is to get this better fit. And then also going back to that modularity that you mentioned, Anna, there will also be more other modular pieces that will be better fit for other environments such as Mars or the Lunar Gateway which is this space station orbiting the moon. Oh, so they are they going to have different pieces for different environments? Yes, they will. Cool. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. And I'm sure this all also comes down to saving weight. Like, if they don't have to send different suits for every condition and they can instead just send different parts, they can save some mass. Yes, exactly. So what's interesting is that, according to the NASA website, NASA will build and certify the first fleet of spacesuits for Artemis, but after Artemis, it will completely hand over the production, testing, assembly, etc. of training and flight suits to U.S. industry. Huh. So I thought that was an interesting fact. I read that in an article. That is cool. I've never actually thought about who would make them. Yeah, so that's all I have for the XEMU. There's, of course, like I mentioned earlier, more improvements but I picked the ones that stood out to me the most. If you're interested in learning more, I highly recommend checking out the NASA website about it. I'll have it linked in our sources. All right, so now I'm going to go ahead and get into some of the university work that's happening in the US, specifically on spacesuit design. So the first school I'm going to talk about is CU Boulder. So there's a professor there, Dr. Allie Anderson, who is working on, a, on an in-suit wearable sensing system. And this is really cool because currently the sensory information you get from an astronaut is from sensors monitoring the external environment and only a couple of sensors monitoring internally. For example, like the CO2 sensor that detects carbon dioxide buildup from when a human breathes in the spacesuit. But Dr. Ali Anderson's lab is working on making a physiological monitoring system that will be internal to the suit and it will provide consistent biometrics that will help predict issues such as fatigue and injuries. That's cool. Yeah, it's really neat. And that is still in like, that's still very much in research and development phase. I think they do something similar, but it's a significantly easier environment with soldiers and the military to try to catch if anybody's close to getting heat stroke or things like that. 
Oh yeah, I can definitely see that where they're utilizing sensing systems to predict that. Because it would completely make sense to like you could probably get fatigue by somebody's breathing, heart rate, different things like that about when you need to pull people in or not. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. The next school I'm going to talk about is Texas A&M. At Texas A&M, Dr. Ana Diaz Artiles is working on the smart suit, which employs soft robotics to increase the mobility of astronauts. So like we've been talking about, the current spacesuit is pressurized. So when you try to move a limb, the spacesuit will act against it almost, like I mentioned. And this can lead to what Anna said earlier, astronauts getting exhausted. So instead, Dr. Artiles and her lab are trying to incorporate soft robotics into the, into the spacesuit. And soft robotics are these soft, squishy materials that can extend, bend, contract, instead of the... The conventional robot is rigid. You have these gears, you have these like metal rods. In, the, in soft robotics, you have these resistive sensors that are conductive. So when you power these sensors, there's this like squishy material that will do the same motions of a conventional robot. It'll extend, bend, and contract, but it'll do so more naturally. It's really cool. And Some of them look like aquatic life. Exactly. So when you look at when you look up soft robotics, a traditional example is a squid and with the tentacles and the tentacles are actually like made of this soft material. And when you power it on, the legs are actually moving like a squid would swim underwater. It's really cool. I you should look it up. Yeah, very, very cool. I think that would be really neat to see in a future spacesuit. I that's such an interesting idea. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. The So another lab that's working on spacesuit design is a bit more of a famous one. So Dr. Deva Newman's lab is working on the biosuit, and this is at MIT. So if you Google spacesuit design, this is the classic picture that pops up, and it is this sleek-looking, tight-fitting suit design. So what the suit does is that it aims to apply pressure directly on the astronaut's body through tensioned fabric instead of the traditional gas pressurization used in current spacesuits. What it does is it uses mechanical counterpressure and it's directly pressurizing the skin with this fabric. It almost looks like a webbing. It's like a red or sometimes it's blue, like webbing on top of it. And I think that's supposed to be the pressure line. So they're aiming to pr apply pressure more so to the li lines of non-extension on your skin, which are the parts of your skin that don't move as much with the rest oh. of your skin. Yeah, pretty nifty. Still very much in research and development phase, but it would be really cool to see that come to life and be uh, something that's used in future space missions. A little bit more about it. The standard spacesuit is pressurized to about 30 kilopascals, or a third of an atmosphere. Mechanical counterpressure suit will do this, but instead of pressurizing a big bulky suit, it's just applying that pressure to the skin. And however, it will have a gas pressurized helmet. And the helmet to Deva Newman is the hub of information. So that's why it would still be a gas pressurized helmet. She envisions it to be this information hub where you're using we're using augmented reality to display images onto the helmet to figure out what your plans are. So imagine like in your helmet you're getting instructions right in front of your eyes and then also able to see out onto the lunar surface as you're walking 
and the helmet is telling you what direction to walk in. So it's like, it's really cool. That's neat. Like, I don't even know how you do a skin tight helmet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's cool that it would essentially, if you were like working on something or building something, it could like project a blueprint of what you need to be doing. Exactly. That's yeah. cool. So that's her vision. So Neat. I actually I actually got to work in the same I was an undergraduate researcher for Professor Newman and I was working on some space sensors. So that was really fun. And I actually have met both Anna and Allie. They're super awesome women, super brilliant and working on some really cool things. I would highly recommend you look up their research. It looks really awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, another cool, really cool research project I came across was at Kansas State University. They're working on measuring distance to metal components in the suit to prevent astronaut shoulder injury. So shoulder injury is the most common type of injury that occurs in astronauts. The EMU, it has these bearing joints that the arms attach into, um, but these bearing joints restrict motion and because it's bulky and it restricts motion, it can lead to rotator cuff tears. Ooh, ow. Especially yeah. if you did that, you could very you would possibly be on the space station. So you couldn't even get yeah. it taken care of. Could you imagine? That no. would be so horrible. That sounds awful. <laughs> I'm such a baby when it comes to pain. <laughs> I don't think anybody is a fan of it. <laughs> um... But yeah, so the research team at Kansas State University is working on integrating these distance sensors into spacesuits. Really cool research. I'll have the publication uh, linked in our sources. Awesome. Yeah. And that's all I have for spacesuits of the future. Wow, I'm really excited to see what comes about. Yeah, I'm excited to see the evolution of these spacesuits. It's going to be really cool. I know, I'm so excited. All right. Um, Anna, do you want to tell everyone where they can find us? Yeah. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, you can check out our website, but it is rocketscience.com. There's actually a contact us form there. If you enjoy listening to us, if there's anything we said wrong, if there's anything you want to hear about, drop us a line. We really appreciate it. You can also find us on Instagram at but it is rocket science and on Twitter at but it is rs. And our podcast is available on all the popular podcast streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, all of the above. And if you really liked our podcast, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It would mean a lot to us. All right. I can jump into my sources, so... Bring it on. For this episode, I used a few articles... I used ScienceDirect, NASA.gov. For the research groups, uh, I used the Colorado.edu website. Um, I found a few papers. They have some interesting URL links, so I'm just going to include those. But uh, those are links to the research papers for the different university projects. And I also found a Texas A&M um, link for the new smart suit. There was also a YouTube video for, about spacesuits that I'll also have linked. Awesome. For the space shuttle suits, I used the Wikipedia page. I also used the Wikipedia page about the Orlin spacesuit. 
Um, I also went to Wikipedia to figure out if the spacesuits had ejection seats. <laughs> and I used the Wikipedia, the Wikipedia page to learn a little bit about Boeing Starliner just to check some of the dates. I used the NASA website to ta learn about the Starliner suits they're planning to use or are working on is a better term. I used a bunch of different articles about the why the cancellation of the first all-woman spacewalks, including Science Alert and the Washington Post. And then I found that audit on the NASA.gov website. And then I used a New York Times article. I will have the New York Times article linked about the actual all-female spacewalk that happened, just in case you're curious. And that's all I got. Wonderful. All right. All right. All right. It was so fun chatting with all of you. I know. Thanks I really for like listening one. to us. Yeah, Thanks me too. For hanging on to the spectacular event that was our first two-part episode. All right. Are you ready to close it out? Let's do it. Until next time, space cadets. T, T minus three, three two, two, one, one liftoff. Lift off.